A vegan revolution? Veganism as the ideal diet. Things can spin out of control very, very fast. Welcome <laughs> virtually to Temple David and to the Zoom world. We're, we're doing a hybrid event today. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Richard Schwartz from Israel. Welcome to Osage land, southwestern Pennsylvania, in the center of the Turtle Creek watershed and airshed, the Monongahela watershed, the Ohio River in the Mississippi watershed, leading to the Gulf of Mexico. On this fifth Temple David and Vegan Spirituality, Southwestern Pennsylvania, and also reimagine the Turtle Creek watershed and airshed communities, Vegan Sukkot happening. We are so honored that you are here gracing us. In your, is it your 87th or would this mathematician say his 88th year? I'm not sure, but Richard, how are you today? Oh, thank God, and it's wonderful to be on the program. Thank you so much for setting this up. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for all the work you're doing promoting veganism. Best wishes for much success. We, we have so many thanks, and I'm going to thank the, 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 the multitudes of people that made this moment possible at the end. But right now, I just want to launch right in. Show us your book one more time. Okay. There it and is. there are. And by the way, the, the threats are so great, the issues are so important that I'm offering complimentary PDFs of the entire, entire content of the book, cover picture to anybody that emails me at veggierich at gmail.com. That's V E W G I E R I C H at gmail.com. And I invite people who get it to share it with others because. I want to start many respectful dialogues and because uh, it's essential that there be a major shift to veganism in order to give a chance to have a decent world for future generations, avert a climate catastrophe. So I'm going to start with a question, but before I do, I just want to let the people know that are there in person, you're welcome to ask questions and we're going to keep it kind of informal. And if you have a question and you're online, just type it into the chat and I will glance over there periodically. But in the meantime, Richard, why do you think there is a vegan revolution today? Like what, a vegan revolution? I mean, a lot of us here are vegan, but we, we get still a lot of pushback and people are confused and don't understand. Why do you think there's a vegan revolution today? Yep, there are a lot of people who don't understand, but thankfully there's been a big increase in the number of vegans, especially here in Israel, which is a vegan capital of the world with a very high percent, relatively speaking. And there's so many now plant-based substitutes for animal-based products. And they say some of them with the appearance, texture, and taste so close to the animal product that people can't really tell the difference. And especially among the young people, there's been a change. But partly it's looking at what's happening now, looking at the past. But also it's really a hope for the future because there's got to be a vegan revolution. 
again, if we're going to have a chance to leave a good, decent, habitable world for future generations. So it's great. I hope this program will be part of that revolution in increasing the number of vegans here in Israel, the U.S., throughout the world. So, yeah, part of your book's subtitle is Saving the World. Why do you think the world needs saving? Well, unfortunately, uh, the world heading toward a climate catastrophe so serious that the, the real future of humanity is at stake, that 100 years from now, there could be no more human beings. And I wish I could say uh, it's only my opinion, but this is the opinion of 97% of climate experts, every science academy has taken a position, and most important, over a thousand peer-reviewed articles in respected science journals. And this summer has been especially an indication, as I'm sure you're all familiar with Hurricane Ida's a devastating effect that that had. The wildfires in California, the entire West is burning, much of the East is being flooded. So we're getting examples all the time. By the way, this June was the warmest June ever since about 1880, when temperature records were kept July. The past July was the warmest month ever in recorded history. This year is on track to possibly being the warmest. Every one of the 21 years in this century is among the top 22. So uh, glaciers are melting, polar ice caps are melting, even Greenland had rain in some parts it never had before, melting rapidly. And uh, the, the thunder, the uh, permafrost is melting. So there's all too many indications of this. And just two very important factors that make the future look very frightening and why it's essential that as soon as possible, there's been a major, there will be a major shift to plant-based diets. One is that all of these major climate events I just mentioned, all due to an increase since the beginning of the industrial revolution of 1.1 degrees Celsius, about two degrees Fahrenheit, experts are predicting as much as three degrees, a tripling by the end of the century. So imagine, uh, it's been so bad for so many. Again, in California, Louisiana, New York was flooded, the subways, many are dying, unfortunately. And, that, and the other thing, even more significant, is something called self-reinforcing positive feedback loops. That is that every time there's these major events that make the future uh, severe climate events more likely, I think we're all familiar with the so-called domino effect. You can have a million dominoes lined up, just touch one of them and they all fall. This is not quite the same, it's more of a circular thing where event A increases event B, which increases A and it goes around. So to give one example that imagine you're at the frozen Arctic, the sun's rays hit that ice. Ice is a great reflector, 70% of the sun's rays is reflected back out into space, but eventually some of that ice melts and then much darker water or soil that's revealed only absorbs about, um, uh, sorry, only reflects about 6%, 94% not being reflected but absorbed. And therefore, more and more is going to melt and that continues. More, more is melted, more dark earth or water revealed, etc. So that is one of the examples so that things can spin out of control very, very fast. 
and with all the storms and floods and all, and think of all the energy that's going to be necessary to rebuild the homes destroyed, the cars that are destroyed. So that is why uh, this moving toward a vegan diet, I've made a resolution, the new Jewish year 5782 has to be a turning point to avoid the world being so threatened. I want to digress for just a moment and ask you, um, because I think people might be interested, what is it, uh, if you rewind, what is it that brought you to veganism? Because many of us here online, you know, kind of you're, you're in the synagogue preaching to the choir, right? Yeah. And the, the more uh, general yeah. vegan community, but how is it that we can help understand how you came to veganism and therefore help people to understand, to give us some ideas to help us so that when we're out in the world and about, we make it clear that it's not necessarily that you have to be a deep dive vegan activist like Richard Schwartz or Joanne Kong. Thank you, Joanne Kong for being here and filling in at the beginning. Um, uh, but, but that you can just change one bite. But how did you and your wife get, get into, and maybe some of your family get into veganism? Mm -hmm. And then we're gonna go back to, you know. First of all, in some ways I'm preaching to the choir, but I hope that the choir will go out and get the message to many, many more people. If each person converts one person to change the diet, even not to complete veganism, that can make such a difference. Okay, the reason, way I got into it actually way back in the 1970s, teaching mathematics at the College of Staten Island. And I was teaching liberal arts non-science students who were poorly motivated, you know, because they were going for music or art or dance and they didn't need math, but the college felt that people should be well-rounded and should take at least one math course. So I was teaching them and I came up with the idea to try to motivate them, something in a way was pioneering at the time. I created a course called Mathematics and the Environment. And I wrote a textbook, Mathematics and Global Survival. So you can see I've been concerned about global survival now for at least 50 some odd years. Okay, so one year in that course, which we tried to tie in with current events, and it was like a UN meeting on hunger. And I felt such a shame, millions are dying of hunger. Maybe there's just too many people, what can we do? I read this wonderful book by Frances Moore LaPay called Diet for a Small Planet. And she pointed out a tremendous wastefulness of animal-based diets. At that time, they were estimating 20 million people dying of hunger and its effects. About 10% of the world people were chronically hungry, and yet 70% of the grain produced in the U.S. was being fed to animals destined for slaughter. I have to pause you there. Yeah, okay. Let's just take that in. 70% of the world's grain... Well, the grain in the U.S., the world might not be quite as high, but then maybe it's at least 40% worldwide because some poor countries, of course, can't afford to feed the grain to animals, but 70% in the U.S., maybe 40% worldwide. So 40% so worldwide of the grain that is grown goes to, most of it to agribusiness, which I don't know if you want to finish the story of how you, you, you came to mm -hmm. veganism, 
So it's just a little bit more. So at that point, uh, we'd have discussions and I'd point out to the students what of saying how wasteful it was. And then after a couple of years, I followed my own advice, slowly but surely keeping up cold cuts and red meat and chicken, et cetera. And in 1978, became a vegetarian, roughly 2000, it took me a while, became a vegan. And uh, the case seemed so strong, I had to get it out to more people. Started to write a book. There were many good general books on the subject. So I decided to tie it in with Judaism. And uh, you know, luckily, I feel I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. There's so many powerful teachings within Judaism. And that, again, by the way, other religions, of course, also based on compassion and sharing and justice. And I, to some extent, I work with others to get the message out within the Christian community as well. So, so not just Judaism, although that is our context here, more so leaning today, but why do you think that Jews and others should be vegan with the understanding that all spiritual tr traditions come back to these same ideas that Richard is going to share with us now. Why no. Jews vegan? Okay, well- I used uh, to make a mean matzo ball soup, by the way. Oh, great, Chicken great. soup and matzo balls. Okay, well, glad uh, you're so wise and that you made that positive change. Okay, so first of all, it's interesting, in the very first chapter of the Torah, and we start reading that again this coming Shabbat, you know, in a cycle that you, every year that you read through the entire five books of Moses, the entire Torah, and at chapter, just the very first chapter, chapter 1, verse 29, God's first dietary regimen, strictly vegan, talks about the herbs of the field and the uh, fruit of from the trees, etc. So, and the other ideal time, that was the beginning, Garden of Eden, the Messianic period that Jews yearn for, according to Ralph Cook and others, will also be vegan based on the powerful prophecy of Isaiah, that in that ideal time, the Messianic period, that the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the lion will eat straw like the ox, and no one shall hurt or destroy in all of God's holy mountain. But the main case I try to make is that there are six very important basic Jewish teachings or values that point to veganism as the ideal diet. And uh, I was just mentioning, you know, list them now, and I'd be happy to discuss any and all of them later. Okay, so six very fundamental Jewish teachings, take care of our health, treat animals with compassion, protect the environment, conserve natural resources, help hungry people and seek and pursue peace. So we have these basic, basic teachings. By the way, one quick point I mentioned, uh, according to the first chapter of the Bible, uh, God's first dietary regimen is strictly vegan. And of course that is consistent with what modern science has found that we are much closer to herbivorous animals than to omnivorous or carnivorous. We don't have the claws of a carnivorous animal, we don't have the short, long, hard, dagger teeth. Our intestinal system is four times longer per unit height. And uh, our stomach acids are only one twentieth as strong as that of carnivorous animals. One of the points, by the way, as uh, Lisa was stressing, how much of the grain fed to animals, what makes that 
so much more shameful is we take very healthy foods like corn and soy and oats, high in fiber and complex carbohydrates, devoid of cholesterol and devoid of saturated fat. We feed it through the animal and we get products just the opposite, very, you know, causing an epidemic of disease. All of those points are so important. And I have to tell you, Richard, when we've just come through, you know, the high holidays in Judaism, Yom Kippur, where we fast and we repent. And when I'm reading through the liturgy, you know, over the past eight years, nine years now that I've been uh, vegan and I still have this cognitive dissonance around knowing that so many people in my own faith, my own tribe are eating meat and there's kind of a disconnect, a, a cognitive dissonance between what we are saying, what we are praying and what we are doing. And so I feel your passion so strongly. What, you know, you say part of your book's title is Revitalizing Judaism. Why do you think Judaism needs revitalization? Right. By the way, I just reminded myself, I just want to show this something really amazing. This was the August 9th issue this year of the Jerusalem Report. And right on the cover, I don't know if you can read it, but it says Richard H. Schwartz was sort of no argues that eating animal products violates Jewish teachings. Now, how much good about to super returning to Judaism? And there's certainly rabbis know a lot more than me, but I can't answer these fundamental arguments that I bring out to mention those six mandates. And well, by the way, in the next issue of the magazine, I sent in a letter thanking the editor and in effect asking rabbis to engage in a respectful dialogue debate Nobody's been able to do, do that. So the thing is, there's a lot of denial out there. You probably heard the expression that denial is not just a river in Egypt. Many rabbis don't want to address it. The good news, by the way, is that my, the group that I'm a, a, um, a president emeritus of Jewish Veg is coming out in another month or two with a very strong vegan statement which was signed by 150 rabbis. So things are happening. You shouldn't think that it's uh, all negative. There are positive things occurring. Okay, back, what was the basic question? I heard, well, the basic uh, question is about revitalizing Judaism. Right. I just wanna okay. shout out, I'm gonna do a little bit of an intermission here and shout out to all the different groups that I believe made this particular moment in time possible, not the least of which is the Vegan Business Tribe. Richard and I met through the Vegan Business yeah. Tribe directly, which is happening right here, right now as a brand new thing in uh, Britain, in Europe, in England. And locally, we have the, the current director of Jewish Veg, Jeffrey Spitz Cohan, who was right. the predecessor of, of Richard Schwartz as the director of Jewish Veg. He happens to be local here in Pittsburgh. He sends his regrets that he couldn't be here today. Mm -hmm. 
Humane Action Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh Vegan Society, um, Ellie and Sean will be picking up some delicious vegan meals later locally, the Pittsburgh Plant-Based Eating Hub and Sally Lipsky and all of the people who are part of her group, Patty Klingensmith, shout out to her. There's just so much going into this. We have been doing this now for the fifth year here at Temple David, and there's going to be a retreat at our temple. And there are just a handful of us uh, that are plant-based, maybe two handfuls now, but there will be a retreat. And on the menu, the choices are vegan, vegetarian, and chicken. And so you see, as you be this in the spaces and places where you are, the change happens miraculously before your very eyes. So the question is revitalizing Judaism. There are people that argue, Richard, in Judaism that it says, my, my niece, who's an Orthodox Jew, said, we're commanded to eat meat. What do we say to those people? Actually, we have a choice. And number one, there are chief rabbis that have been on strict vegetarians or vegans. So certainly if cheap rabbis can do it. So there's really a choice. I mean, certainly if somebody, even just for health reasons, feels they just can't eat meat and uh, have to have a vegan diet, it's certainly possible. So we have a choice. And I always argue, shouldn't that choice be made, taking into account the basic Jewish teachings? And you could say, would God want us to have a diet that's bad for our health? that are so negative for animals. You know, it says every three times a day in synagogue services, part of what's called ashray, that God's compassion is over all of his works. And the Jewish teaching is that we are to imitate God's compassion. And as a matter of fact, it indicates at one point that a sign of being the seed of Abraham, the first Jew, is that of compassion. We are to be Rachmanim, B'nai Rachmanim, compassionate children of compassionate ancestors. So it definitely is not commanded. Certainly now, uh, you know, they, they have songs that uh, to rejoice in the Sabbath and the holidays once you eat meat, but that was in the days of the temple. And after the temple was destroyed, the Talmudic sages said one can rejoice with wine and, and maybe with new clothing and candy and games for the children. So there's certainly other ways and if somebody realizes the very negative effects of animal-based diets, it's certainly uh, hard to rejoice in that case. So it's definitely we have a choice. And that other question about revitalizing Judaism, well, one of my other books is called Who Stole My Religion? And the subtext is applying Jewish values to help heal our imperiled planet. And the reason I say that is it's very positive on Judaism, on Israel, and Judaism, I believe, is in many ways a radical religion in the best sense of the term. Very powerful teachings. Tzedek, 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 justice, justice shalt thou pursue. Seek peace and pursue it. Be kind to the stranger. The amazing thing, they say the teaching that occurs most often, 36 times, is be kind to the stranger because we know that it's like we were strangers in the land of Egypt. So there's much on that in uh, chapter 
2, verse 15 says that the human being was put in the Ghanaian, the Garden of Eden, to work the land, to serve the land, but also to guard it. We are to be Shomri Hadamak, uh, guardians of the earth, co-workers and partners with God. So we have these powerful teachings, but uh, unfortunately, many focus on the ritual, which is very important, but it should be a reminder of our role, Tikkun Alam, to practice justice, compassion, to uh, work in, uh, you know, it's gonna be in the Haftorah, the prophetic portion, which Shabbat for Parsifarishi, that Isaiah's powerful words that we ought to be a light onto the nation. Jews are a fraction, very tiny fraction of the world's people, but we can show a very positive example. So, so beautiful. So Thank you, you at age 87 are shining your light so brightly and just you as an example, demonstrating we understand as we step into veganism, if we're vegan leaning, as some are on this call or perhaps live in the social hall at Temple David, we certainly all know people who, are, who wouldn't have been even aware of veganism had we not come to the potluck dinner or requested a vegan meal. And so we, I understand that you're, you're planning a major campaign to promote veganism in conjunction with your book. And I just want to put a shout out to Joanne Kong, who is here, who has also put out a book, which will be launching. And I can't resist now because I'm going to be emceeing this book, Vegan Voices. Richard is, is a vegan voice extraordinaire. And although he doesn't have his voice in the Vegan Voices book, his voice has been resounding around the world, now from Eretz Yisrael, for a very, very, very long time. Those of us in the Vegan Voices book are, are some of us are more fledgling, some of us are very established in that world. But how can people, uh, how can we learn about your campaign? How can we cross-pollinate you here with Joanne Kong? And how can we get people your book and more and more information about vegan activism? I'm feeling a moment here because Joanne is here, because people from other vegan organizations are here. What inspiration do we have? And then I'm gonna open it up for Q&A. And I wanna encourage people in the audience at um, Temple David to come up to the computer and ask Richard directly questions. And I wanna encourage people that are watching virtually. Randy, I know you gotta have a question. I know I could put Randy Boswell on, on the, on the spotlight, you know, but just think about it now while Richard is answering this question about how he's building a major campaign, how we can find his book. Get, get a load of this, people. Richard Schwartz, vegan activist extraordinaire, is offering his book. Do you see I have a lot of, of, of mark, markers in the book? I didn't quote any of it today because we have the original here, but he is offering this book, this incredibly resourced book like you've never seen in your life, PhD mathematician, for free as a PDF. You can share it as a PDF. And I'm stealing Richard's thunder 
because I'm going to tell you, you can email to this gentleman, veggie, V-E-G-G-I-E, R-I-C-H at gmail.com. He will get back to you with the PDF, <laughs> you know? So like, what more can you ask for in life? But what else are you doing? I know that we saw you, Richard, um, my husband and I, and um, Al Deroy, thank you, Al, for everything. Hardcore vegan at Temple David. Uh, we saw you doing an event. Can you remind us what that event was with a lot of different vegan activists? Oh, uh, right. That was um, or two possibilities. Thank God for Zoom. I mean, I've been doing many events on that. So I had for Earth Day, I had a using Zoom. I had a major event, one in Israel, one in the U.S. And uh, the one you made it on, I'm not sure. That's another thing that I'm trying to do. Re-establish the ancient new year for animals. Everybody knows we just had Rosh Hashanah, but there's actually four new years in Jewish tradition. One of them was the new year for trees. That's Tubishvat, and that's become more and more popular. Uh, After the destruction of the temple, these uh, other holidays sort of became... uh, Relatively not important, but two was flat, New Year for Trees, reestablished, and now it's become like a uh, Jewish Earth Day. So we're trying to do the same thing for New Year for Animals, and initially it was tithing for sacrifices, so we want to restore it, but transform it, change it into a day devoted to increasing awareness of Jewish very powerful teachings on compassion for animals and how far current realities are from that. I'm thinking even of putting together a book before the next one, because that occurs one month before Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Hodesh, the new moon of Elul, uh, the month in which Jews before Rosh Hashanah to examine our deeds, repent and reflect and uh, decide how we can improve our lives. By the way, um, the publisher of that wonderful book, Vegan, What's the name? Vegan speakers. And all vegan voices. Vegan voices. Okay, they're sending me review copy. I'm looking forward to reviewing that book because you know that's going to be very important. So, in terms of what I'm doing, one is that New Year for Animals, and uh, I'm hoping to also write a 20th anniversary edition of another book, Judaism and Global Survival which has a chapter on vegetarianism, but uh, or veganism, but we have to go way beyond that. Again, increasing awareness, Judaism's powerful teachings on the environment, on hunger, on energy, on so many justice and compassion also. Now also, as I showed before, this is another thing. Uh, you know, I have this cover story and basically why Jews should be vegans. And I'm hoping to just push that and try to see and encourage rabbis to speak out and maybe have more dialogues and debates on that because the issues are so super, super important. So- Would you, would you I'm gonna put you on the spot, Richard. Would you be willing to facilitate a dialogue between rabbis? Oh, absolutely, sure, okay. sure. Okay, so so take note, take note, take note, universe, take note, spirit, take note, source. When I first discussion dialogue with any rabbi on a question, should Jews be vegans or at least vegetarians? 
because it's, it's essential. By the way, I want to make one point on why it is and something I've sort of become more familiar with recently. There's, as I said, I'm very unfortunately the world's heading toward a climate catastrophe. There's only one possible way to avert that. And I read a little bit, there's a book that came out maybe a month or so ago, it's called Food is Climate Change. And it points out, and I think you're going to be discussing, oh no, maybe that's something else, sorry. Anyway, points out something very, very important. Of course, we have to go to renewable energy. We have to get more efficient cars. We have to get better light. We have to do a thousand and one things. But there's only one thing that not only reduces greenhouse gas emissions, because if there's a shift toward veganism, of course, there'd be less cows and other farmed animals who emit methane, a very potent greenhouse gas, which could be within roughly 20 years, it's in the atmosphere, as potent, as much as 100 times as potent as CO2 per unit weight. I mean, there's much more carbon dioxide and all, but the methane funny is really becoming maybe the most important greenhouse gas. Now, the reason I say that Okay, so it could reduce the emissions, which also shifting to more efficient cars would do and renewable energy. But it does one other potentially very important thing. It turns out that over a third of the ice-free land area in this world is used for grazing of animals and raising corn and soy and other feed crops for animals over a third if that land was reforested and you know all kinds of trees, it used to be six trillion trees, now there's only three trillion of course of cutting down. And even now they burn down forest in the Amazon, create more grazing land. So if we could do that, and that would sequester some of the carbon dioxide already in the atmosphere, the climate experts indicate that 350 parts per million of carbon dioxide is like a threshold value, you know, just like doctor will tell you the threshold value for cholesterol, for example. 350, the world now is way above that at 420 and increasing. So the only possibility is to bring that 420 number down below 350. So it's not just a matter of reducing, it's very important, but we have to reduce what's already up there. So that's why this is the essential, essential message that the only way and a relatively simple way, something that every person of course can start doing right away today, becoming a vegan and getting more trees and absorbing that carbon dioxide. Can I say something? Can I say yes, something? please. Oh, th Richard, thank you for being here with us. And thank we have me. about eight or 10 people, one, two, three, four, eight or nine people in Temple David. And I wanted to mention the lunch that we're serving here is a, to carry out for purposes of COVID. It's in a container. The lunch is a 100% plant-based lunch, including the container that it's in. Wow including the utensil, which is a bamboo spork, and it's also 100% plastic-free. 
Fabulous, fabulous. Well, what a great example. I hope many other temples, synagogues, and other religious institutions will follow your wonderful example. I, I'm speechless, which is rare. Does anybody else have a question um, from the live audience or online? Do you have a question? Um, you can, I'll move and you can sit right here and ask the question. Here comes somebody. Somebody's coming up for a question for you, Richard. And then I'm going to thank the local people who made this event possible. Is somebody coming up to ask a question? No. no. Okay. So, so thank you so much. Are there any final words? I, I, I'm. The idea that's coming to me right now is, Richard, have you been, I know that you're retired, but I know that you're not tired. And I know I'm just thinking how wonderful it would be to offer a course, maybe a six or eight or 10 week course, just about maybe even at just in half hour bites, maybe even we could pre-record it so that you wouldn't have to be put on the spot and we could release it over the course of 10 weeks. Because I'm very aware that some of the people here, maybe all of us on some level, may not have understood some of the things that rolled off of your tongue. So even though most of us are from the Judeo-Christian, perhaps Asian, Far Eastern awareness, some of the hardcore Ju Judaism that rolled off your tongue, like Tu Bishvat, the holiday of the trees, people have never heard of. A lot of Jewish people have never heard of Tu Elisa, that's a lot of things people can look up. Now, the time is up. People can stay as long as they want. I have some thanks. Richard, Alyssa, Randy for taking care of Zoom, Rena and Linda Jones, Rena Goldberg and Linda Jones in the kitchen, Sarah Harner, watching the door. We are also mindful of security here at Temple David. And so she watched the door to make sure to let people in. And probably there's a few more people. Oh, Al DeRoy and our family sponsored the food. Yeah. Al DeRoy is very influential and generous with Temple David. He's a 100% ethical vegan. And I try to influence him and say, Al, some of that food's not healthy for you. And I'm trying to like steer more towards plant-based. And I'm not 100%, but Al is really fabulous. So I wanted to mainly thank Al and all the people who helped me put this together. I also want to thank our rabbi, Barbara Simons, for- The Alec Committee. The Alec Committee. Sharon Salzman. And uh, also- um, and, we, and also the Alec Committee is making a donation to Jewish Veg in honor of Richard for $54. Thank you, thank you very much for that. So, so thank you, thank you all again so much. I'm going offline and into the sukkah. The sukkah is a hut where we celebrate this uh, Jewish harvest festival and it's set up outside of Temple David. I'm going to have one of those amazing uh, vegan meals. And Richard, thank you so much from the bottom of all of our hearts. Thank you, Laura, Laura Beck for being here. Thank you, Louise Baldell. Thank you, Joanne Kong. Thank you, every single one of you in that social hall and in the building at Temple David. And now I just want to close with a spontaneous spoken word prayer. And here we are. We've come from near and far to this moment this pinnacle moment in time. It is so very divine. We know here 
from the bottom of our hearts, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, from the heavens above and the earth below. We are supported because the divinity from wherever you come, whatever religion, whatever spiritual tradition, this way is the highway, the new super highway, <laughs> moving in, stepping in at whatever level you must begin. Bye bye, thank you, Richard. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity and I wish everybody should have a Chag Shameach and uh, dance joyously and Simchat Torah and uh, all the best and uh, really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much.